it's Allie Burks, the worship leader for the local church, and you're listening to the Sunday Sermon Podcast featuring sermons from our Sunday liturgy. The local church is a bold and inclusive faith community based out of Chatham County, North Carolina, committed to being with and for one another, our community, and our world. In this time of social distancing, we continue to gather virtually for the work of worship every Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. over Facebook Live and YouTube. So wherever you find yourself, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, you have a place at the local church, and we'd love for you to join us. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body before its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. This is the word of God for all of God's creation. Thanks be to God.
So many Bible studies uh, that I lead or classes I teach, I'll begin with a certain poem. Before I have uh, uh, cracked the spine of my Bible, before I've uh, offered any word of a lecture, I start with this poem. And the poem is called Introduction to Poetry by a poet named Billy Collins. Maybe, maybe you've heard of it. I was introduced to this poem at a conference a few years ago. And the speaker read it once, and then she read it again. And she changed it ever so slightly. I'm going to do that here in just a second for you, because it was actually uh, when I heard it the second time that in the words of Emma, my five-year-old, my mind was busted, <laughs> mind blown. I'm sure I've used uh, this poem with some of you before. It may be familiar, but it's always worth returning to for me. By the way, I'd love to know, what is your hot take on poetry? Are you pro-poetry or is it just not your thing? I would love to hear from you uh, in the comments, some of your favorite poets or, or poems. Um, but here is one of mine. I can't wait to share it with you. Introduction to Poetry. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read it twice through. I'm going to put it on the screen as well. Um, but the second time, I'm going to change two of the words. And you'll see. You'll see. Ready? I ask them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a color slide or press an ear against its hive. I say, drop a mouse into a poem and watch him probe his way out or walk inside the poem's room and feel the walls for a light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem, waving at the author's name on the shore. But all they want to do is tie the poem to a chair with rope and torture a confession out of it. They begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. They begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. I'm loving seeing the comments come through here. Uh, Nancy mentions that after hearing Amanda Gorman, uh, a lot more people might be reading poetry as well. I hope so. I hope so. All right, so here it is once more, but uh, this time I'm gonna change just two words and you'll see why. Ready? I ask them to take the Bible and hold it up to the light like a color slide or press an ear against its hive. I say, drop a mouse into the Bible and watch him probe his way out or walk inside the Bible's room and feel the walls for a light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of the Bible, waving at the author's name on the shore. But all they want to do all they want to do is tie the Bible to a chair with rope and torture a confession out of it. They begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. They begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. What do you think? You like it? I share all of this with you this morning because of the story that Susan read for us from Mark's gospel, Mark's biography of Jesus, because here's the thing. We may want to approach the Bible like something to be figured out, a user's manual or a blueprint or a study guide, but like so many stories in the Bible, this one does not give us easy answers. There's no single meaning we can just peel and stick, apply neatly to our lives wholesale. There's, there's no confession to be tortured out of it. Instead, instead, sometimes we just have to sit with it, water ski across the surface, wave to the author's name on the shore, feel the walls for a light switch. 
Like the woman in this passage with her bottle of perfume, perhaps this story just needs to be broken open, shattered, so that we can too be anointed and covered in the ointment, experience the abundance of it, let it drip for a little while. So that's what we're going to do this morning. No single meaning, no takeaway, sorry to disappoint you, no simple gift tied up with a neat, tidy little bow, instead just the extravagance of a few different perspectives of the same story with hope that the Spirit moves in you. The extravagance of the story, leaning into it. And the scene, by the way, fits so well in our sermon series that we are calling Extra, a series about a God who is just too much. Extra, a series about a God who is just too much. Much And remember, uh, remember y'all, extra means over the top or excessive, way too much. And and we're exploring the ways that God can be too much sometimes, extra. And perhaps God is even inviting us to respond in the same way. I'm loving the hot takes on poetry coming through. And, and, uh, and this story, this story that we hear this morning is just, it's super extra. It's a lot. It's extra frustrating. It's extra confusing, it's extra judgy, extra absurd, extra irresponsible. (laughs) But also, if we lean in a little and hold it up to the light like a color slide, I wonder if we can find that this story is super extravagant. See what I did there? In some good and beautiful ways, too. So here's what happens. Ready? The story comes near the end of Jesus' life in ministry. The plot to kill him has been hatched, and Jesus finds himself in a town called Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem, where he's traveling for the Passover. And in Bethany, he's at the house of a man named Simon. And there's some other people who are there, and uh, in walks this woman. And Mark doesn't tell us her name. The woman is carrying a jar of super expensive perfume or ointment or nard and an amber-colored oil that likely came from a plant in the Himalayas. And this woman doesn't tiptoe in quietly, careful to not make a scene. She doesn't just dab a little bit of the ointment on her fingers and, and try to just nonchalantly graze Jesus with the tips of said fingers. No, instead there is a scene, right? And it's all kinds of extras. She, she waltzes in with this alabaster jar, breaks it open and pours it on the head of Jesus, this oil dripping in his hair and down his beard. It's everywhere. And the others who are there become indignant. And and let's be honest, we get it, right? We get it. At least I do. I mean, this ointment was worth 300 denarii. I read that somebody did the math on that and said that that sort of money could have fed 7,500 people in that day. Rajiv wasn't far off when he said that it could have bought a car today. 7,500 people, 300 denarii, and she just dumps it all on Jesus. Are you kidding me? And so they make their indignation known, but then Jesus chastises them? Leave her alone, Jesus says. Why do you trouble her? She's performed a good service for me. You'll always have the poor with you, Jesus says, but but she has done what she could. Anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be talked about. Case in point, this morning, here we are, proclaiming good news, Talking about this woman, Jesus was right. (laughs) 
So what I want to do is is slow us down. And that's what that's what reading poetry helps us do. Reading poetry allows us to become better readers of scripture because it slows us down. I want to do that this morning and spend just a little bit of time in different places in this story, rolling around in different perspectives, holding each one up to the light, the men, the women, and Jesus. And we'll ask some questions and think about waste and extravagance. And I want to know too, where do you see yourself in this story? Where are you in this story? I really want to know. Put it in the comments as we experience it and listen to what God may be saying. So let's start with the men. What's their deal? What's their deal? What's their deal? Uh, and to be clear, the passage doesn't come out and, and say that they're men, but it's a safe <laughs> assumption. It's a safe assumption. They, they, they might be disciples, but we, we don't know that for sure. What we do know is that they're at Simon's house to dine with Jesus, to sit at his feet, to listen and to learn. Let's imagine that they've been uh, uh, good students. They've, they've listened as he's preached. Maybe some had followed him there and maybe others had heard about him and were there to, to greet him. Maybe they wanted to make a good impression, right? Eager for some FaceTime with this esteemed rabbi. But then in walks this woman and they watch her break open the alabaster jar and pour the oil over Jesus. And not only do they, do they see their time with Jesus being hijacked, they are beside themselves angry and frustrated when they realize that the perfume dripping to the floor could have been used to feed hungry kids, pay someone a living wage. This woman's reckless extravagance is a waste, they declare. But I wonder what's really a waste here. Because it's, it's not just the cost of the perfume that's excessive. It's the judgment, right? As the woman pours the nard over Jesus, the men pour on the shame. Doesn't she know what impact that money could have? Who does she think she is? Well, they don't know the answer to that question because I actually wonder if they really want to know at all. To hear her story, to invite her to the table. It's almost as if in the name of decorum and decency of law and order, fairness, they refuse to even acknowledge her humanity. They other this woman and pile it on to try to keep themselves in a place of privilege, to cling to their status. They use their piety as a wedge. Throwing shade is easy. Generosity of spirit is harder. And Jesus sees this, and so he calls them out. He's like, y'all are being extra. Leave her alone. Don't give her any trouble. She's done what she could for me. How you doing? You with me? Let me know. She's done what she could, which brings us to the woman. And I love this line. She's done what she could. She shows up without holding back and offers everything she has in this moment for Jesus. Maybe, maybe it raises some questions for us. Had she thought this through? Had she spent years saving her money? to buy this perfume? Had she sold something important to acquire it? Had she woken up that morning knowing that this was going to happen? Did she get an invite? Did she just happen by? Was it premeditated? <laughs> What's more likely is that this act of extravagance simply sprung up from somewhere deep within. If you've ever done something, not thinking about it, not sure where it came from or what got into you, you might know something about this. The woman's 
extravagance is selfless and timely too. Timely anointing the body of Jesus before his betrayal and arrest and horrific public death, as was the custom. Perhaps when we're met by Jesus and we experience the abundance of his generosity and his love, his mercy, how he gives of himself to the poor, how he heals and restores the marginalized to community, how he is relentlessly on the side of the oppressed, doesn't just talk the talk, but actually here shares a table with a leper, one who is unclean ritually at the leper's own home, y'all, and how he describes the way in love he will give his own life for the sake of the world. Perhaps that love compels us, compelled her to respond with love of her own. Maybe that's all we can do. Something so absurd can elicit absurd responses of our own, like gallivanting into a stuffy place full of grief and pretense and just making a scene. Ridiculous, absurd, joy even. Extravagance begets extravagance, and it doesn't always make sense. Sometimes it's too much. A response in kind, not out of obligation, not to earn something, but bursting forth out of love. So when, so when love of God... <laughs> is the motivation for extravagance. There's no place for shame. Jesus is basically saying, you do you. Use your gift for the sake of love. Respond to extra with extra. Do what you can. And so despite the grumbling, the shaming, and the shattering, and the pouring, perhaps the most disruptive presence in the story is Jesus, the one who calls out the men for their self-centeredness who welcomes the woman and praises her for her selflessness and who does it all with ridiculously expensive oil dripping from his beard. <laughs> Just picture that. Remember that Jesus says to them in verse six, if you're following along, if you have your Bible, verse six, she has performed a good service for me, a good service for me. In Greek, the word good there could also be translated beautiful, beautiful. And held together good and beautiful, our image of Jesus might begin to be disrupted. Here's what I mean. Often when we think of good by itself, we pair it with bad, right? In other words, something is uh, that is good or not good, it becomes a question of morality, of right and wrong. This is what the men who've gathered are after. They, they want to know, uh, they, they want Jesus to know that they're right, <laughs> that they would have given that money to the poor. And her act of wastefulness in their eyes was not good. But when we hold the word beautiful with good, the question goes beyond morality to essence. It goes beyond questions of right and wrong and ultimately changes our understanding of what Jesus is after. It's not about a confession to be tortured. It's about a gift to be experienced. Too often we think of Jesus as the great scorekeeper in the sky, a judge who decides what's enough, who makes a tally every time we miss the mark, who stands in the great beyond with a clipboard and a sharpened pencil, just watching and waiting for us to slip up. And if that's the case, we never know where we stand. If that's the case, there's no possibility of relationship with anyone if they're keeping score the whole time waiting for you to fail, if it's always a question of right and wrong. So that's why Jesus says 
that it's beautiful. That's what the men miss. They're trying to get the answers right to earn their way to the table, but there's nothing to earn because the table is already open. Jesus desires relationship and connection, and the woman knows this. Jesus wants us to open our hearts to him, responding to his generosity and love, even if it doesn't always make sense. And in their offering, that's in her offering, that's what the woman does. That's what the woman does. She responds with extravagance of her own. How are we doing? So I want you to think this morning about waste and extravagance. Think about how the, the men in their rush to judgment and their focus on being right missed the beauty, missed the connection, missed the invitation, the extravagant love, the generosity, the relationship, the invitation to relationship, the beauty right in front of them. What a waste. Think about their missed opportunity to know the gift of this woman, her story, her humanity, the ways her presence and its extravagance could change them and their community if they had just leaned in. What a waste. Think about this woman who didn't waste an opportunity to show up and respond to extravagance with extravagance, to goodness with beauty, by doing what she could when the moment called for it without calculation without pretense, with a little bit of recklessness and joy, perhaps, too. And think about the extravagance of this passage and of Scripture in general and our attempts to tie it to a chair and torture a confession out of it. Along the way, wasting an opportunity ourselves to experience the extravagance, the abundance of God's love and grace and mercy. The gift of Scripture is sort of extra, too isn't it? So where are you in this story? The woman did what she could. And once you've experienced this kind of extravagant love of God, will you? Amen. It's Allie again. If you love what you hear, share this episode or send it to somebody who could use some good news this week. We'd also love for you to leave us a rating and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more information about the local church, visit thelocalchurchpbo.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at localchurchpbo. Until next time, love where you are.